Hello and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews. Let me review a podcast that will try to guide you through a movie and hopefully my bloody voice holds up by recording this thing. Oh my god, I hate the bloody cold season. Ugh, anyway, <clears throat> each and every month there's a theme. And as it's September, I'm doing Super Spy September, which is my look at the first Bond movies of all the Bond actors. Tonight I'm looking at Timothy Dalton's first try in Tuxedo, The Living Daylights. He is now the fourth man to take on the mantle, taking over from Moore after the lackluster of you to a kill. Well, frankly, Moore's wig and eyebrow did most of the bloody well acting him for crying out loud. Now, see, if I was running the Bond franchise, I would have had Connery in the 60s, Moore in the 70s, Dalton in the 80s, Brosnan in the 90s and Daniel Craig in the noughties. Not having Moore limping into the mid-80s, making Bond a bloody well laughing stock. So, on to Dalton himself. Now, I remember this at the time and all the hype and buzz this thing had from what I can remember is Bond was a quote, one woman man. That was a big thing about this thing. Also, Dalton was going back to the books and making Bond more mean, rough and ready. Also, he would do most of his own stunts, unlike Moore, whose buddy will spend most time sitting in a sideline that just will do the fucking thing I mean, if want. Let's see if I can scale 11 daylights after this thing. With a budget of $40 million, this thing pulled in $191. Now, in today's money, that is $100 million, and it pulled in $497.9 million. Starring Tiffy Dawson, Miriam de Diabo, Jerome Krabby, Jodon Baker, Jonathan Rhys Davis, Art Malik, Andreas Winsky, he was his name, Robert Brown, and Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Directed by John Glenn. Of the plot, James Bond is sent to Russia to investigate a Russian defector. Along the way, he romances a celloist who just happens to be the defector's girlfriend. Also, he takes on a blonde assassin, an American arm dealer, and somehow he smashes a Middle Aged, uh, Middle Age, Middle East rather, drug ring. Uh, all in a day's work for 007 then, okay then, that plot's a fucking mess. So, after uh, the gun barrel sequence, in which we see the new 007 played by Tim Dalton, opens up on the Rock of Gibraltar, as MI6 is holding a training mission to test if the double O's can get past the British SES. In the back of a Hercules carrier, M, played by Robert Brown, who played M from 1983 to 1989, tells his three double agents, see, not even this production counts bloody lazy me as a bond, mm. that this might be seen as a training mission by the MOD, but he's proud of the MI6 and they will win with relative ease. So with that, the three doubles jump the R004, played by Frederick Warner, and double two, played by Glenn Baker. And note, you aren't supposed to know who the new double seven is. These two were supposed to be red herrings. One was supposed to be a Roger Moore looking like, and another one was a Sean Connor looking like. So, okay then. As the double O's land, they're being watched from the bushes by a Russian assassin, who quickly takes out the two non 007s doubles that makes sense yeah, who cares leaving behind a message of death to spies bond 
sees one of the Doubleos fallen to his death, so gives chase as the assassin gets away in a Land Rover. 007 jumps onto the roof, and yes, that is actually Dalton doing the stunt. He cuts his way in using a knife and subdues the hitman, assassin, and then drives the truck off the rock of Gibraltar as it explodes because one of the soldiers shot the mission to the back of the truck and it blows up. Bond parachutes onto a private yacht and calls in the deaths of double agents and then has some alone time with some rich board of her head, heiress. Onto the Bond song by AHA, one of their three hits I believe. Cut to a Vienna concert hall where Bond's new handler Sanders, played by Thomas Wheatley, tells him he is there to stop a hit out on General Kozkov, played by Jerome Krabby, as he's defecting to Britain. Saunders leads Bond to a safe house and hands up his sniper rifle to tell him to take out the hitman before Hitman takes out Kozkov. Bond, however, sees this young woman, Kara, uh, played by Mariam Adobo, I think that's what's her name. So he shoots the gun out of her hand and wounding her, but he misses wildly. And this is basically a re replay from her much above love. Basically, the Bond writers have run up bloody well ideas now, so, hmm. Bond sees Kara and makes a run for it, as the KGB are all over the place looking for General Kozgov. So Bond makes a break for it, taking over from the, by the numbers, Saunders, to get the General out of there before they get caught by the KGB. Bond drives them to the main gas line out of Russia, where the general is put into some sort of bullet type thing, and then shot into freedom through the gas pipes. Along the way, a, fe a female Russian gas worker slash agent is used to distract the guard. She is Roska Mikhailos, played by Julie T. Wallace. She uses her feminine wiles to distract the guard. Now safely in the west, the general is met by Q, played by the late Desmond Llewellyn, for bloody well reasons. Why the fuck is Q meeting him? I mean, moving on. And not T-Pilot Q from 1963 to 1999 until his death. Anyway, the General is then taken away, placed inside a Harrier jump jet, and flown to Britain. Bond tells Sanders to stuff his orders. He only kills professionals, carried on one end of the rifle from the next. Cut to Q. Well, Q's HQ, if that makes sense. As Bond gives Q and Miss Moneypenny, put by Caroline Bliss, Cara's description. But she's not an assassin. So Bond tells Moneypenny to look out for female cellists who were injured that night. Cut to a safe house in the English countryside. And he would meet blonde assassin Necros, played by Andreas Vince. Vinetsky, what's his name? He was a dancer apparently, and then he became an actor. And apparently, he done most of his own stunts and legitimately injured the actors doing the stunts. With the, the big fight scene, which I'll describe later, he actually broke the guy's what was it, a finger and a nose and a rib and all such means. So pretty dangerous. Anyway, he's dressed as a milkman. He kills the milkman with his uh, Walkman heads, headset, and then steals the. The milkman's um, outfit and float and as such and drives to the safe house. Bond drives up in his convertible Aston Martin Volante. And then Bond hands the general a hamper from Harrods. 
he then hand him the bill. It's much more than it was expected as Bond changed a few dozen items. Anyway, the general tells M about the Death to Spies plan, put into action that makes Sparkov World War Three. Kozgov claims new head of the KGB, General Pushkin, played by Jonathan Reese davis wants to start a nuclear war, so Bond must stop him immediately. Bond isn't buying, however, saying he knows Pushkin, and he wouldn't do this thing. Just then, Necros breaks in and kills agents left and right. And he throws out explosive milk bottles and then kidnaps Kozgov, carrying off in an air ambulance. And during this fight, as I said, he hits a guy with a frying pan that apparently broke his nose. He kicks him into a shelf and it broke his rib. And he kicked him in the finger or something like that and it broke his fingers. It's ridiculous like that. I mean, hmm. That's why I don't have a non-trained actor doing bloody stunts. Anyway, back in London, Bond's being chewed out by M and then told to take out Pushkin. Now, in Q's workshop, Bond's Aston Martin becomes a hard top because apparently they made a mistake. The the one that uh, Dalton drove into was supposed to be a hard top, not a soft top, but they cocked it up. So they had to have the scene where he's putting the roof back on. So, a uh, whoops. Here he's given a Keyfinder fob thingy with stun gas inside, which will knock out somebody for 30 seconds. Also, a skeleton key that will unlock 90% of the world's locks. And... It has explosives on it to boot, as you do. Miss Moneypenny has found Kara, so sends Bond off to... Uh, I have no idea, recruit her? What the hell is she supposed to do? I mean, mm. Bond heads back to the concert hall to pick up Kara and tells her he's a friend of Kozgov. Handily, she's his girlfriend. I doesn't know what Bond's or indeed Kozgov was a spy. Okay then. The KGB arrests her on a tram, but not Bond, who takes her cello, as Pushkin takes her in for questioning. Bond takes the cello case with him into a toilet and finds that the sniper rifle is inside of it. So he ditches it in the river, but not before finding her address, and drives there to meet her. He heads there and waits for her. Next day, she's like, go. She then heads home, but the KGB are watching her and tailing her. Bond gets out, but she demands the turn for her cello, so they go back for it after Bond says nope, and cue a car chase scene. Luckily, Bond uses the Aston Martin's optional extras to get away, including laser beams on the hubcaps that slices a KGB police car in two, and stinger missiles and headlights also skis in underbelly to, well, ski on a frozen lake. Okay then. Finally, an afterburner to get away at immediate speed. The car loses a tyre, so Bond sets off the self-destruct and it blows up. So they ski using the chill case to freedom. Yes, this bit is bloody goddamn ridiculous. However, this thing was done for real. With Dalton and Diablo actually skiing on this case with her controlling it. Anyway, cut to Tangier. Pushkin goes to see the new Bond villain, Brad Whitaker, played by Joe Don Baker. He's an American arms dealer obsessed with war, and he plans on kicking off World War III. Now, I love his watchword figures are all famous generals in, in history. And this is a nice nod to Man of the Golden Gun. Anyway, moving on. 
tries to sell Pushkin on his fancy new guns, uh, but Pushkin is not buying it and tells him the order is cancelled. He has 48 hours to hand back the $50 million or the KGB will have him shot. He also tells him he is not a soldier. He was dropped out of the American army for cheating and then became a mercenary and then became a cheap arms dealer. So, ouch. Back to Bond in Austria where Bond takes Kara sightseeing, as you do. And at night he weighs and dines her and then questions her about Koskov. Cut to Koskov at one of Whitaker's safe houses and he is with a necros. Whitaker tells him to kill, uh, to kill, to kill Pushkin and Bond. That night at the opera, Bond is watched by Saunders, who tasks him to kill Pushkin. But Bond refuses. So Necros kills Sanders and now Bond is out for blood. Cut to Bond in Tangiers where he's out to kill Pushkin. However, Pushkin tells him the truth. It's all Kozgov's idea. Also, Whitaker is an arms dealer behind it all. He wants to kick off World War Three to profit from the war. So they plan to fake Pushkin's death to flush out Kozgov. As next night, Bond, quote, kills Pushkin at a peace conference. Cue a rooftop, uh, uh, can't fucking speak, a rooftop chase scene as the police chase after Bond. Bond gets away with ease, but is picked up by not Bambi and Thumper, and they're taken to see Felix Leiter, played by John Terry. Back to Pushkin, he is in the arms of his mistress, but he comes alive just like that and tells her he's lucky Bond is a great shot. Felix tells Bond he's been tailing Whitaker, but he's not bought a single gun other than a few sample ones he showed to Pushkin. Bond tells him he's been working with Pushkin, so they're on the same case they're after Koskov. Back to Whitaker, who is told Pushkin's dead, and he is indeed pleased. So back at Bond's hotel, Kara is fingering her cello. As Bond interrupts, she drugs him and hands it over to Koskov. Then, they take Bond onto an airport where they board a plane to Afghanistan where, wait for this one, Whitaker plans on paying the Afghan army with diamonds to pay for drugs so he can sell them to get money to buy weapons. And this is where the movie falls completely to fucking pieces. When the plane lands, Koshkov hands both Bond and Kira over to the Russian police. Handily, Bond uses his keyring and gasses the jailer and escapes using a skeleton key. Along the way, he picks up Cameron Shah, played by Art Malik. He's a Taliban freedom fighter that helps Bond to take down Koskov, and this is awkward as fuck. What is it with the mid to late 80s movies that were showing the Taliban as the quote good guys paid for by the, uh, the, the Americans and the British? And then 15 years later, they were the bloody bad guys. Mm. Anyway, Bond, Kara and Cameron team up to take down Kushkov. Next day, they attack the airbase and the Taliban kill the Russians left and right. Kushkov boards a Hercules carrier plane with the drugs and tries to head it back to Whitaker. Bond boards the plane, plants explosives, kills Necros by giving him the boot causes the plane to crash into the mountains as the drugs burn up. Bond returns to Whitaker where he meets his Waterloo as Bond uses an explosive keyring to blow up 
a bust of Wilkerton as it completely crushes Whitaker. Kozgov is interrupted by Pushkin and taken away to God knows where. Meanwhile, in New York, Bond finds out just how good Kara is with wood between her legs as credits roll. So that was Eleven Daylights. A good, not great opener for Dalton. However, this falls to absolute pieces in the second half. What in the fuck is a celloist doing fighting with freedom fighters in Afghanistan? Why is Whitaker selling drugs to make money to buy weapons? He's a fucking arms dealer for crying out loud. Why not just up your prices? I mean, I like Bond's Aston Martin. Although the other gadgets in this thing are very lackluster. I don't know. I'll give this one a 005 out of 10. Still, so, come back next week as I look at Pierce Brosnan's first attempt in the tuxedo. And I wrapped the month up looking at Daniel Craig in the tux. Don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. And follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod. Check out my one of my other hundreds of podcasts. A bye. And James Bond will return in GoldenEye.